I think the most common concern that people have about working within healthcare is the well-being of those that are doing the caring, the frontline, the clinicians who are burning out and being pushed to their limits. So how can technology do its part, not just by limiting the burden on clinicians, but in fact reducing that cognitive load? Well, at the Talking Health Tech Autumn Summit a few weeks ago, we held a panel session about this very topic. We had a bunch of young doctors talking about their own experiences when it comes to clinician burnout. And this session was sponsored by 3M, which is a great fit because their technologies in hospitals and clinics around clinical coding and dealing with data are working behind the scenes. And the whole idea is not to harass doctors and frontline workers and make their job harder, but work in the background and then to give the right information about the right people at the right time for better quality care. So if you want to go back and watch this session live and see the video, you can do that on our website. Sessions four, five, and six of the Autumn Summit are free for anyone to watch. Now there's 12 sessions in each summit. So if you want to access the rest of the recordings, consider joining as a THT Plus member, which is our membership offering for individuals and companies. And so our solo membership works out to be just $29 a month at the moment. It's paid annually. And with that membership, you can watch all the previous summit sessions we've done. And this Autumn Summit was our fifth summit. And you can also attend all of our future summits live as well as a THT Plus member. They're virtual events and we do the virtual thing pretty well, I think. We've got lots of engagement and fun graphics and high energy and all of that stuff. So check it out if you're keen to connect and learn about health tech. It's good timing too, because our winter summit is coming up on the 11th of August. So join up now so you can secure your spot to attend live and hear from a variety of speakers on topics that are shaping digital health today, but right now. Session six of the Autumn Summit titled Doctors on Drivers of Clinician Burnout and Technology's Role as a Problem Solver. Here we go. Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech, a podcast and membership community about technology in healthcare. Here's your host, Peter Birch. There are multiple drivers of clinical burnout, no matter which healthcare system you're in, and these can distract from patient care. In this session, you'll hear from doctors sharing their experience and discussing the areas where technology could intervene to free up time to care for patients. This is session six of the Talking Health Tech Autumn Summit titled Doctors on Drivers of Clinical Burnout and Technology's Role as a Problem Solver, featuring Dr. May Tan, General Practitioner at Bronte Family Doctors and the Burke Street Clinic, also a Clinical Editor for Health Pathways and RACGP New Fellows Committee. Dr. Micah Vincent, Advanced Training Doctor, General Paediatrics at Sydney Children's Hospital Network. Dr. Paul Lieber, Interventional Pulmonologist, Prince of Wales Hospital, and a former committee member for Doctors in Training Committee at the Australian Medical Association. Moderating the panel is Dr. Travis Bias, Chief Medical Information Officer, Clinician Solutions at 3M. In preparation for this discussion, we asked on LinkedIn, what's the most impactful way that technology can assist with healthcare workforce burnout? 55% of respondents think that the most impactful way to help with burnout is to streamline processes. So let's go to the panel to discuss this important topic in more detail. And over to Travis to continue this conversation over to you, sir. Sounds good. Thanks, Pete. Appreciate it. And thank you all for having us. We're looking forward to this discussion. And I wanted to set a little bit of context and intro. I know you got a brief introduction on us, but again, I'm Travis Bias and I'm a family medicine physician, or rather a general practitioner in the States. 
And I'm joined by three of my good doctor friends, all based in the Sydney area, to talk clinician burnout and technology's potential role as part of that solution. And we saw, you know, 55% of the respondees said streamlined processes, and we'll get into what we mean by that, whether that means technology or even operations. And so the four of us all met back in 2014. I was three years out of my medical training as a registrar, and I had just left a practice in the suburbs of Austin, Texas, and I was totally burned out. I'd wanted to work a little more in low-income settings, and so to prepare myself, I'd enrolled in the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine's Diploma in Tropical Medicine and Hygiene put on in East Africa. And my 59 classmates, uh, including the three that joined me on the screen, were junior doctors from all over the world, most from Europe and Australia. And we learned a little bit more about HIV, TB, malaria, and the epidemiology of health issues facing those in low-income areas. It was the most rewarding experience of my career, and it came at a pivotal time for me. I had seen and felt a lot of the systemic factors that can lead to burnout of frontline clinicians. So the clerical tasks expected of clinicians in the electronic medical record, the difficulty just getting the right information at the right time to properly care for your patient, the financial incentives that force complex problems into short office visits. And so I wanted the opportunity to impact health system level improvement at the system level, really. And 3M has given me that opportunity to do that. And so for the last three years at 3M, I have worked first as a clinical operations consultant and most recently as a chief medical officer of our clinician solutions business, where I've seen firsthand how technology can really help to mitigate burnout and perhaps most importantly, how important implementation of that technology is for its success. And so I know the stressors of clinicians in the States pretty well. I've taught medicine for a little over a year in Kenya and Uganda, so I think I somewhat get the burden on health workers there. But I wanted to talk with May, Micah, and Paul about the causes of burnout specific to the Australian system and get their thoughts a little bit about how technology might potentially be part of that solution. So May, Paul, Micah, welcome. If you could, and May, we'll start with you. If you could start just by telling us a bit about your day-to-day -day work and help us understand this a bit from your end, maybe highlighting examples of issues that you've dealt with at work that could potentially lead to burnout either for yourself or for your colleagues. Thank you. So I'm a GP in Inner and Eastern Sydney across two practices, but also work as a clinical editor of Health Pathways. Just a quick plug about Health Pathways. It's essentially a government project which sort of develops a mesh between clinical guidelines for common GP issues as well as like a local service directory for these issues. So GPs are aware they can refer things. So yeah, so as a GP, just talking about, I guess, focusing on drivers of burnout, and I'll try not to make this a full-on gripe about GP because I love being a GP, but I think as many clinicians find, the paperwork component, I'd say, makes up at least 40% of my day. And it's thankless work that basically keeps you behind or eats into your lunch times that kind of just has to be squeezed into your day or basically keeps you back late. So just to give you an idea, so my day will be like booked from like, 8 till 4 p.m. I might have a few catch-up slots but most patients either have a 15 or half an hour appointment and within that appointment you know like you sort of say you kind of have to do quite a lot of clerical tasks you have to document the whole consultation and because of the medical legal landscape you need to be documenting not only the advice that you've given but all the things that they did present with or did not present with so that if anything went wrong you can defend yourself and you know I've got colleagues that will stay back or log in for an hour or so just to document their paperwork during the day because during a consultation you want to be face to face with the patient you don't want to be seen typing away and focused on your computer and not engaging with the patient and so I have colleagues who will log in at 2am after their children have gone to bed 
to finish up documenting consultations that they've had during the day, which is a huge, I think. So when you say paperwork, you're not exactly paid to sit there and do the paperwork separately from the consultations, right? Oh, yeah. No, this is very much like things that you're just doing to, I guess, that clearly document what happened during the consultation, but also as a huge defense thing. Sure. No, but I think documentation is important, right? Like you want to pass on the story from yourself onto maybe the next doctor that will see the patient. It's important for payment purposes, for understanding the risk of your population at an organizational level even, but it's still something that, I mean, it demands, you say 40% of your time throughout your day, it demands a ton of time. And like you say, when you're in with a patient, you don't want to be dialed on the computer screen. You'd like to pay attention to the, the nonverbal cues and things you're getting. So that resonates a ton with me. Yeah. And I can see one of the GPs that's logged in, Daniel Chanishev, who's actually a friend, you know, he's sort of having a similar experience. And when you've already working a pretty full on day, you're seeing a lot of patients and taking on, you know, a lot of what they're going through to do that in addition to um, sure. contributes. But then there's other things and I will be quick. So then Micah and Paul can also contribute their bits. But like you also have to somehow fit in your day. Like you might get messages from admins saying, oh, that referral you gave to that specialist, the patient's actually contacted us saying they can't get in because the specialist isn't taking referrals anymore. Or you need to actually write that referral in a special format. They've just got this new template. They're no longer accepting referrals that you just write in your usual format. So now you have to go to their website, print off this PDF and be handwriting things that are already within the software and able to be auto-populated, but they just are moving away. That's that's a great example of a task that filling out a different type of form, you've already put that information in one place, you know, maybe a different team member or a different piece of technology could sort that out to really take that from one form to the next form. And so speaking of specialists, uh, maybe we'll bring Paul in next to answer and, and tell us. A bit about what you do day to day, Paul, and kind of a, a bit about those drivers of burnout that we see. Sure. Thanks, Travis. And thanks to all the organizers for inviting me to come and speak here today. As Travis mentioned, I work in Sydney. I'm a respiratory specialist, specifically an interventional pulmonologist. I work across a number of healthcare facilities, namely Prince of Wales, both in the public and the private, where I see patients in consulting rooms. I'm also a visiting medical officer at Macquarie University Hospital. I've seen burnout affect many of my colleagues and I don't think I've been immune to the problem either. Having been a representative at the Doctors and Training Committee, I think I've got a fair understanding of the multiple issues that kind of transcend a lot of institutions throughout New South Wales and Australia. Unpaid overtime would certainly be one frustration that's usually top top drawer for most uh, junior medical staff. Um, Fortunately, I think that's slightly improved recently, probably because of the COVID pandemic. But now that the funding for that is starting to be scaled back, I suspect the issue might resurface. As a respiratory specialist, it would be strange for me not to mention the impact of COVID-19. The pandemic has had huge impacts on our healthcare system, additional strains, staff absences, prolonged staff absences of seven, 10 days because of, you know, containment periods and things like that. Roster gaps, additional bed pressures, negative pressure rooms, impaired communication through PPE, staff anxiety and fatigue, patient aggression and frustration directed toward frontline staff. I think retention of healthcare staff is going to be a bigger challenge moving forward as a result. Another particular bugbear of mine that just seems to grate me on a day-to-day because it impacts my ability to do what I'm supposed to do, which is look after patients, is 
And there's a large number of independent private radiology and pathology companies around New South Wales and in Australia. And the patient chooses to obtain scans and get blood tests and things like that. And I or my team have to spend numerous hours hunting down the results and chasing them, the scans, the reports, the blood tests, and pulling them all into our database. It's an exorbitant volume of hours, and we're ringing private companies, we're faxing requests, the specific requests, similar to what Day May mentions, you know, you have to have a specific request form for that private company, waiting on hold with monotonous songs, kind of draining your resources, your time and your sanity. And this data, you know, it's there. Why is it not uploaded? Why is it not on the responsibility of the private companies to upload this to a national database? Similar to what was discussed in there, someone kind of touched on this, that we need more appetite from government to try and fix that. Another recent issue is working as a visiting medical officer. I've had to have long patient encounters and submit that to Medicare billing and private health insurance companies. I'm using a medical billing app for that. And it's very clunky and the data required for a complete transaction is quite onerous. And it's not always easily obtainable for myself. So you actually spend a huge amount of time trying to grab these simple pieces of information, like somebody's Medicare number, you know? Okay, I feel like I've gone on a bit of a soapbox. No, no, I think those are fantastic examples. I mean, what I'm hearing is the billing bucket is definitely a big piece. And there's a ton of automation that goes on at various levels in different countries all over the world, just around how do we decide how to allocate resources to care for populations, right? So I think that's one key one. And then the second bucket, which I think is a real key one that I would love to focus on is how do we just get the basic information from the patient, the read on the x-ray, the read on the CT scan, how do we then get that into the electronic health record that you're using to care for the patient to not only care for that one patient, but then to be able to mine that data across the population? I mean, I think those are huge drivers. And then, of course, you mentioned all of the COVID related impacts on your team and you came up with a beautiful list. That's it's a, a lot of the basics that you would imagine shortage of PPE, maybe and other staff stressors. But then staff retention, if you lose one staff member, well, then that increases the stress on the rest of the team. So I think that's one thing that people lose sight of, that it's not just losing that one key staff member but what's the impact across the team? Okay, Micah, intro a little bit about your work and uh, some of the stressors you're seeing. Yeah, so as you can probably gather by the colorful surroundings, I work in pediatrics and I'm an advanced trainee in Sydney Children's Hospital Network and involved in different training committees. I'm also doing research in medical education and I have a big passion for well-being. I'm in the well-being committee here in our network. And look, I think basically administrative burnout is such a challenge. And I think it comes down to the fact that we want to provide good care to our patients, you know, and ultimately you feel like what both Paul and May and you said, this impacts your ability to do that. You've got time constraints already in a busy job, just systems. Certainly as a trainee, you're jumping from, you know, I've worked in probably about 10 to 15 different hospitals in the past six years so you jump between different emrs you jump between different systems different local health districts and you know so i think the challenges are similar but they can be unique to different institutions and currently i'm working in diagnostic and assessment service for autism and intellectual disability and as you can imagine part of what we do is collating information from psychologists allied health schools preschools, as well as medical reports. We do psychometric assessments, questionnaires, and then we want to produce a really thorough report, which you know can detail quite clearly how we've come to a diagnosis of autism, for example, um, that meets the 
DSM criteria um, that satisfies the parents and will satisfy other clinicians going forward. And, you know, the same thing, integrating all those different sources of information is a huge challenge. And that is challenging, but then there's the things that are probably seemingly more simple, such as basic demographic data that can't be uploaded quickly, or, you know, what school this child is at, or who their pediatrician is, you know, those really simple things that don't really change that you would probably have if you were, you know, applying for a count online with something, you know, that they can kind of transfer easily, where we seem to be unable to do. And, you know, it's been outlined, you know, I spend my time looking at PDFs that have been uploaded into an electronic health record and then recollecting that information typing it out again and then having to double check with the family that it's correct because often once that's been done five or six times it's you know someone's missed a digit in that number or email address so it's really challenging and you know it's that lack of efficiency you know for a population in terms of disability where we know is already underserviced and we want to be able to provide quicker time between getting our referrals and seeing patients so I think that's one challenge. I think another thing is then, which has been touched upon too, is this idea of, you know, medical legally, we have to write defensive, you know, we document defensively quite a lot of the time. And there's, I think there's a lot of myths around what needs to be documented. And there's not a lot of information around, you know, we write these reports, we write these letters. And I often am asking myself, who is this for and what do they want? And we often don't know that. I think the idea, the longer the letter, the better it is. And I think we, as a sort of, as a profession, we have kind of created an idea that you have to do things a certain way because it's always been done that way. The clinic letter, for example, does it need to be done every time you see a patient? Could that be sped up in sort of a much more quick summary format that could be sent to clinicians, to GPs who are already busy, who don't have time to read a 10-page document on why this child has you know, a certain diagnosis or not? So I think those are some of the things that I've seen and I can speak to trainees that it is a huge amount of burnout. And then again, as a trainee, you're doing this for other clinicians. So I'm often having sent my letters that I've spent time and effort doing to another consultant or other members to read over and check and, you know, critique and so on and so forth. And that just, again, creating a huge amount of work. And it feels like we could do that better. And, you know, and just finally, just the other side is we're, because we're all trying to do a good job, we don't integrate those systems very well ourselves. So even within my job at Minute, we have an Excel database for our patients. We have the electronic health record. We have Microsoft Access database. We have a REDCap University research database. Plus, we've got our paper files that we still use whilst being paperless. And um, so you can see just in that alone, if I want to document for one patient something quite simply, it takes too much time. And that's affecting, I think, people's ability to feel like they're doing a good job. I love the internal communication pieces, like what are the platforms that we're working across, you know, and, and you mentioned four right there that health workers have to, you know, sign into and remember their log and maybe their password and, you know, remember mm. to check their email on their day off, which a lot of frontline work health workers won't do. So it's, that's one, but I really want to get to the autism assessments that you're doing and talking about collecting, you know, not only collecting the information, but then transcribing it from one area to another something that you're right, yeah. other sectors are probably a decade or two ahead of healthcare in that regard. But I think it's that piece that if all that kind of underlying demographic basic data collection that you mentioned, if that were able to be automated to then free you up to use your cognitive load that you mentioned throughout your day, you know, all the years of training you went through was actually to make that assessment and to take care of that patient in front of you. And I think that ought to be, I would hope, the role for technology at some level to remove some of that burden so that you are focused on what we invested years in your training for you to do. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's as simple as I might have done 
I, I think of a patient I saw last week, we did probably six psychometric assessments of which I'll get a, probably about a 10 or 12 page PDF for each of those explaining their results in detail. I can look at it quite quickly and say, yeah, this is why I think you've got ADHD as well as autism or ODD, whatever it is. But I then have to manually take it out, interpret that, type it up in a way that should be intuitive because it's not complex. You know, it's very simple stuff. And problem so is- So you're a highly paid transcriptionist, basically. Is what we're, we're, I'm not that highly paid. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Uh, sorry, finish your thought, Micah. Yeah, and again, problem is again for the clinicians involved in trying to improve this process. That's just another thing on their list of things. You know, I think everyone would think, oh, I'd love to spend a day or two to just find my flow or how I'm going to do this in, in a way. And I, I can see it in the senior clinicians that have been doing this 20, 30 years. They're not leaving on time. They're it's as arduous for them as it is for someone who's a trainee. That's great. So thinking about for us, all the different elements that you each threw out on the table about some of these issues that you're coming up against, we don't want this just to be a wine session for 30 minutes. So, and since Pete only gave us 30 minutes, we're going to switch quickly to solutions, which we're doctors. We like to just do that anyway. So thinking about how technology could potentially be used to solve some of these issues. What are your thoughts? And I mean, this is kind of like our daydream brainstorm session. So May, we'll start back with you again. So I could talk about this all day. Yeah. I mean, I think documentation, if there was some way for the consultation could just be like dictated and then summarized, that would be incredible. But obviously that would be quite a complex piece of technology. But I mean, simple things that come to mind day to day is just like, I mean, I think a lot of the time technology is out there, but GPs are just not aware of it. Like, so, I mean, I think a few of these things that I'm going to list, there's probably technologies available for it, but you're so busy in your day-to-day, -day, it's hard to keep up. I mean, that's why I'm so excited to be a part of this podcast, you know, that allows us to talk about it and maybe I'll be able to bring a few things to my day. But a few things on my wish list would be like, if we could work towards a fax-free health system, like, you know, I say to patients, oh, I'm going to have to print out this referral and fax it to the hospital. This is just to get like a women's health appointment for a procedure called colcoscopy. But, you know, you need to print it out, fax it across. The hospital then will process the referral and write a letter, like print out a letter that is mailed to the patient with the appointment time. And if yeah. the patient can't make that appointment, they literally then have to sit there calling the hospital and to yeah. try and reschedule this appointment. And in like an ideal world, what I'm you know, envisioning is like, you know, a hospital accepting email referrals. And then when they process the referral, you know, SMS the patient with the link to then book an appointment themselves. Like that would be incredible. I mean, there has been well, so many. There, there was the fax machine mentioned in one of the earlier sessions. And I chuckled at that because I, there are a lot of uh, memes on Twitter and such where medical students like don't know how to use the fax machine, uh, you know, oh. and it's, it's for, for good reason. You it's know? But it, that we're still so <laughs> fax dependent. And that's because of, you know, lots of clinicians don't want to worry about data breaches and that kind of thing. But I mean, I think that tele at COVID has really forced particularly general practice into the 21st century in terms of embracing telehealth and allowing e-prescriptions, allowing e-referrals, but we still have a long, long way to go. So, I mean, that's one. Well, thing. And I think the communication piece back to the privacy concerns, that's a huge concern in the States as well. And what Micah mentioned about defensive documentation, I mean, I think there are a lot of like myths around concerns about privacy protections that have been barriers to technology use. So May, you have 30 more seconds to finish this. Okay, well, one thing I really want is to be able to communicate with specialists in a streamlined way 
that is incorporated into the software. So like at the moment to sort of query specialist radiology report or to, you know, even in terms of making referrals to specialists that have closed their books, like if that could be something that, you know, within our software, they just sort of say, oh, no longer accept referrals. So I physically can't even do that referral, which I'm sure there's a way technology can help there. That would save so many hours of trying to sort of do extra work that you've already done. But yes. I love how we naturally we naturally move from GP requests to having to talk about specialists. So we'll move over to Paul um, because yeah. of that. Paul, your thoughts on potential tech solutions? Yeah, look, I echo everything that me and Mike have said. I think that we need to mandate that any private company that is taking taxpayers-funded money um, to provide a scan or a blood test, they have to integrate that into software in a database that's readily accessible for us. It should just be mandated. I mean, we've got my health record, so why don't we just... That's something that we, we just need the political capital to move forward with. I think there needs to be a, a better communication between primary and uh, tertiary care. 100%. It's, it's, it's far too siloed. And it's not It's not for us. Paul, you're starting to sound like a politician. I think you should run for office. I like this. Uh, <laughs> it's inspiring. But, uh, Micah, your thoughts on solutions? So I think I'm going to say, I think simple solutions. I think we should be, you know, things that can be done. We should be able to fax from an email. That's simple. We should be able to have automated pre-made management plans for things that incorporate guidelines that we know to ensure patient safety that should just be automated. You say, I want the management plan for heart failure and here it goes and I can remove what I need from that. And I think in an ideal world, what we want is Siri or Alexa for, you know, you want the, <laughs> the intern AI where you say what you would to an intern. I'd like to prescribe this person a weaning course of prednisolone and then it can work out what to do. And again, you edit that the software is there from an AI perspective. It just needs to be kind of integrated and better. Yeah, that would be the ultimate solution, really, is the AI intern. I'm going to add one more thing to the wish list. I like the AI intern idea. I'm going to add one more thing, and that's working the in-basket in my electronic medical records. So I've got mm. all these things in the queue. And like May, I mean, you've all mentioned things in the queue that someone else could probably answer if it wasn't coming to me. And so how do we then work that in-basket and, and triage those messages to decide you know, hey, maybe that ought to go to a billing staff person, or maybe this could go to a front desk clerk or something like that. I see Paul making a face that he's no, no, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I was just going to say the other thing that someone touched on, I think, on the chat as well is we need educated stuff. The technology we have does this stuff, and I think this tech health summit is really good. It highlights all these technologies that's out there that people are using that people don't know about, and I think there needs to be almost education in bite-sized chunks, like. Here's top three things you can do with your EMR that you didn't know you could do. Here's how you might be able to integrate care better. And I think often we get this dry training at the start of you know the year. You don't listen. It goes in one year, out the other, and then you spend the year struggling through it. And I, I think there needs to be a better way to educate people about the technologies that we have. I was going to end on the training piece. I mean, not all doctors are as tech savvy as others. And so do any of you, and maybe Maiko, since you're in training, maybe we stick with you. Do you think your hospital organization is doing this particularly well? Or is there, there like a piece of either the training or even like incentives to adopt some of these newer technologies? Is that there or where could that be improved? I think in the public system, it's just slow. It has to go through multiple barriers before it can get uptick. And I think we do do certain things well, but the fact that we're only now starting to do electronic prescribing and it's 2020, that was introduced in 2020, I think. And um, so 
that's again technology that's been there for years and um, but it takes so long um to kind of become used and utilized and then people just learn the bare minimum of how to do it and often you know they don't want to progress that any further because that's a big enough change well and i think that's a big piece i think that's a big piece of training not only kicking off the training but that reinforcement throughout right i mean that's got to be a big piece of technologies because as may was saying technology advances it might be out there but then part of that reinforcement of training would help solidify its use so Thank you all. I think we're at time. Thank you all three for joining us. I wish we were doing this in person. I haven't seen uh, these guys in several years and I'm hopeful to make a Sydney visit soon. So thank you all for your time. And as we all talk health tech today throughout the summit, it's our hope that you'll remain focused on how these tools are serving frontline clinicians and how these ultimately impact patient care. So thank you all for joining us. And uh, Pete, I'll throw it back to you. Love it. Look, Travis, that great way to summarize the session. Love having the perspectives of Paul, Micah, and May. And thanks for the good conversation in the chat as well, attendees. So that's it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit talkinghealthtech.com.